Plot twists. We are obsessed with them. In film, life and love, they turn up everywhere. It's that moment in a story that takes you in an unexpected direction. I'm Tom, super fan of cinema, sport, comedy, and I'm part of the old impression. And throughout this series, brought to you by Now and Sky, I'll be interviewing TV and film stars, asking them all about the plot twist moments that define their lives and careers. So expect the unexpected, and hopefully some behind-the-scenes gems you've never heard before. Expect spoilers. So, Gemma Whelan is our guest this week, somebody that I have been hoping would come on the podcast for quite some time. And at the beginning of the interview, all will be revealed. That's all I'm going to say. She's another special British acting talent, a wide ability from dancing when she was younger to comedy to serious acting. Most of you may know her from a little show called Game of Thrones, where she played Yara Greyjoy, a character that was a leader of men. She was bit of a badass and was there until the bitter end and I think probably from the success of such a show you've seen her in things like Killing Eve the daughter of Fiona Shaw Marion Lister in the BBC HBO show Gentleman Jack and then most recently DS Sarah Collins in The Tower and I think if you really like your cop dramas think of Happy Valley Line of Duty you'll probably like this and series two of The Tower is available now so go and watch it but back to Gemma I was really intrigued to chat to her there's so many facets to her story going from comedy playing a potty mouth Mary Poppins at Edinburgh Fringe to then going to the big stage of HBO and these huge shows that she's been in since understanding that story that journey is going to be great and ahead of time I can say she didn't disappoint she was lovely her stories were incredible. So let's get to it. Gemma Whelan on Plot Twist. Gemma Whelan, I've been waiting some time to have you on this podcast. Wow. Believe it or not. Wow. Yeah, wow, indeed. Because <laughs> about roughly two years ago, I thought you were coming on and I may have purchased something. I don't know whether it was to impress you or to, I don't know what, I don't know what it was, but I'm going to see it through. Oh, I'm wow. going to get your reaction. Intrigue. Okay. okay. So I may have bought a vinyl figurine. <gasps> I wish I was downstairs. I could get mine and we could poke them at each other, but then no one can see with their ears what we're talking about. It's a Yara Greyjoy <laughs> pop doll, guys. <laughs> it's the only one that I've got and it's been in my office for the last two years or the so. The only one. That's amazing. There we go. That's, that's what I do. Um, oh man, I'm sorry I let you down. I bet I had a good excuse. It's pretty cool to have your own. It is vinyl amazing. Sort of figurine. To have my own what are they called? Funko Pops, aren't they? That's it. Funko Pop. Yeah. yeah. And the detail. I mean, she's. Yeah, yeah, she's pretty cool. I mean, it, I mean, looking at me now, can you see? I can absolutely see it's it. It's uncanny, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. I think it's. I think I was going to say, is it the eyes? But... I'm really, <laughs> really pleased. I don't have such a big head. You know, maybe metaphorically, darling. <laughs> <laughs> but it's been in my it's been in my office, yeah, for the last two years. Next to a book called Be More Keanu. So it's a, it balances oh, things wow. out, I think. Oh, what, yeah. what beautiful company to keep. There you go. Yeah. So Thanks. <laughs> it was was it worth the wait to see my sort of sideways <laughs> I, reaction? I think it was. You seem quite pleased. <laughs> I am very pleased. Because what the listeners can't see is that I'm sort of looking glancing left, not quite at the uh, microphone just to see. Because I'm in my daughter's uh, bedroom hiding under a sheet because she's fallen asleep in my bed. 
But I will say, though, you have the most professional setup of anyone that's probably been on the podcast. Guys, I mean, I've so... got a blanket over a microphone. This is professional. I'm... <laughs> It's it's something. Trust me. It's not an iPhone you know. in the back of a car on the M4, is it? So we're all well, right. That's it. That's it. Um, <laughs> it is lovely to have you on. Great to be here. From reading about you, there's so much I want to sort of delve into. And I thought actually starting with the sort of ultimate plot twist for you and your story might be a nice place to start. Yeah. So we, we look at them as sort of defining moments that can change our narrative, our, our own story. I imagine there's quite a few There are quite a few, actually, yeah. I mean, the standout one is certainly, and we can go way back, but, you know, the career-wise, for Game of Thrones, I was in a casting for um, a comedy called Threesome (laughs) with Amy Huberman, which was a really fun job. But in that casting room, I mean, I I was sort of there to be you know the sort of the the guest extra for a couple of funny lines but the casting director on that was the same casting director as was doing game of thrones and casting yara at that time and i think they saw about 79 women wow and he had been sort of you know looking for yara and then i did this comedy casting in this room and it was he and i and he just walked me out and he said i think you're perfect for something i'm casting at the moment called Game of Thrones, I'll call your agent. And so that was one of the ones that, you know, sometimes I think, oh, maybe I don't need to go to this casting because I don't want to, I want to play bigger roles, you know, for the comedy casting. Mm. You know, maybe I'll just skip this one out. And it was a real sort of go to everything, turn up to everything. You never know who you'll meet or what seeds you're planting. And it turned out that it was Game of Thrones and true to his word, the next week I was in meeting him and then I was recalled on the Friday meeting all of the HBO high-ups. And I, I thought I had no chance because I was sort of, you know, very unknown, try, trying a bit of stand-up, doing a few bit parts and working five or six other waitressing and office jobs to make ends meet. And, um, yeah, I was just in the right place at the right time and that obviously changed everything. And, um, yeah, I got the part and off I went, I suppose, in terms of to Belfast and to... to who knows how things really change but I'm sure having that on my CV you know opened doors and um, it's quite a nice piece of kudos isn't it having been in that show it shows a certain perhaps level that you've been trusted to perform at Mm. that then other doors began to open I mean because at that time I was desperate to do more drama but you know I was doing so much comedy so yeah that was a a very big twist that I am I'm enormously grateful for and uh, would not have the career I do now had I not been in that little room doing this completely different character, but who had quite a masculine <laughs> energy. Yeah, that was... Is it, a... is, it, is it true that you almost missed the call, though? You you didn't you didn't believe it was actually the director or the casting person coming through to tell you that you had the role? Is that true? Um, that was a different one, actually. That was another fantastic plot twist, actually, which but we can go back a bit to that one. But no, this one, I just had to wait quite a long time to hear hear about it because they sort of say, yeah, you're, you're the favourite, they really want you, but then it has to, once you've met all the high-ups, they then have to sort of send you all the way through and all your casting tapes through to the high-ups HBO and back down again. I think it was probably another month before I heard for sure. Oh, it's agonising. Yeah, but sort of by that time I'd let it go. I thought, well, I guess... And because I didn't know how life-changing it was going to be, I wasn't like desperate, desperate, oh, got to hear about it. I just knew it was a big deal and I probably had no chance because it was an HBO drama and I was no one. But, um, yeah, sure enough, I got a call. I was, I was just going on to do a stand-up gig, actually, 
And my agent called me sort of out of the blue on Friday night and said, it's yours, because, of course, American timing is different. So they, she called me quite late and, yeah, I was utterly thrilled. Oh, incredible. But no, the, um, the other one prior to that, I was earlier on in my career when I really was sort of even grappling around for an agent. I didn't even have an agent, but I was so determined to do what I wanted to do, which is what, I, what I'm getting away with doing now. <laughs> Hope the nice gods are listening. Um, <laughs> and uh, I was going to sort of advert castings and, you know, extra castings and stuff. And I had I'd just been to Edinburgh and the agent I was with was not one that was really working for me because it was a musical theatre agent and that really wasn't the path I was destined for, I don't think. So I was, I'd, I'd sort of, after Edinburgh, had been offered representation by a different agency who had a meeting with me at BAFTA and it was all very shiny, but it sort of turned out they were a bit of a glorified extras agency. But anyway, I signed with them and then they would send me to this sort of, you know, I went up for an advert for a guitar hero and for this, that and the other. Anyway, <laughs> this one time... It was a casting for what turned out to be The Wolfman with Anthony Hopkins and Emily Blunt and Hugh Jackman. But it was sort of to play an extra, sort of third prostitute from the left at this party. And so this agent sent me off to this and I was quite hungover. I thought, I just don't want to go. And thanks to my (laughs) now husband, he reminded me, go to everything, you never know who you'll meet, just go. So I went. Mm. And it was an improvisation about um, Hamlet, and I had just done a very, very sort of comedic, pulled apart version of it in Edinburgh uh, in a show called Shakespeare for Breakfast. So I was quite familiar with it. And the, the audition was basically intended to be an improvisation with Benicio del Toro's um, character, all about Hamlet and how I'd enjoyed his performance. And so I was able to improvise and riff quite easily about it. And that was that. And I left. And two weeks later... I got a call from Spotlight and then Priscilla John, the casting director of that film, saying, we can't get through to your agent. We've tried and tried. They want to offer you a speaking role in this film with Anthony Hopkins. Normally, we wouldn't try this hard. We'd just go to the next person, but they really like you. So they had gone to the extra effort of finding spotlight, going through them, finding my personal number, getting into it. It was quite a rigmarole because it wasn't, you know, the instant availability of people that, that there is nowadays. And so, yeah, thanks to, you know, Priscilla was quite irate with the agent and quite sort of gently haughty with me that we don't normally do this and you're very lucky and they should really pick up the phone because this is a big opportunity for you. And they, they gave me a speaking role. I mean, it was one line with Benicio Del Toro, but I was, I was sort of bumped up to being Emily Blunt's maid. And so largely it was the, the, my shoulder in shot or <laughs> me sort of passing her a cup of tea and there's my hand. But um, in the director's cut, I was first in order of cast appearance on the credits wow. in the cinema. <laughs> So in order of appearance, I came up first. And I had this line with Benicio and, you know, it was it was really wonderful. But again, that was a huge plot twist because I, I would never, ever have heard from that agent. They were not going to pick up the phone. It sort of quite rapidly went downhill from there. But getting that job then led me to getting a better agent and things, you know, once again, you know, the little steps, little steps chipping away. And mm. then I began to get further castings. So... Yeah, and that was just magic being in that film with those amazing people. I just remember being sort of a little agog 
and turning up and sort of being invited to have dinner with them at this hotel. And there's just like, there's Emily Blunt and Hugh Jackman and Anthony Hopkins has given me a biscuit. And there's just like... Royalty. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, but for, I mean, I don't know if this is boring, but further to that, further to that job, I used to teach um, wedding couples their first dance. I used to go around to their house and teach them their wedding dance. And I remember I was at this couple's house up in sort of Stanmore and uh, I'd popped to the toilet and I had a missed call, but my battery was almost dying and I managed to listen to the voicemail and it said, it's the, the second lady from Wolfman, we want you to come now for a night shoot. And my phone died. Oh my God. And the guy had, you know, again, it was sort of, you know, I had sort of an old sort of foldable Nokia, I think it was, you know, state of the art at the time. <laughs> but like the guys, like I was in this couple's house in the middle of teaching them a dance. So I just had to come clean and say, listen, this is happening. And they were like, right, we want to be part of this. So they went around all their neighbours to get a, a charger. I'll be ever grateful to them. And oh, they got wow. this charger and he brought it back. I mean, I think he was just desperate to get out of the dance lesson. He was so uncomfortable. <laughs> it's nice for him to have a different focus. <laughs> but yeah, they went, they found this charger. We charged up my phone and we got in touch with the second AD and we worked out where I was and they were going to send a car. And then we finished the dance lesson and then this Mercedes came to pick me up, which of course, uh, it was just like... This is amazing. I'm Another a movie world. star. Like, <laughs> and then I went and did this night shoot with Emily Blunt, and yeah, as you do. So just yeah, but it is it's wonderful, isn't it? It's just like these things where people cross your lives, or you know, as I say, that right place, right time for a casting, or mm. or this wonderful couple who were prepared to be part of it, rather than like, no, you're teaching us a dance. You know, this is our time. We're paying for it. So yeah, it's, it, that was a really sort of special set of circumstances that you know. Led it's to amazing, change. isn't it? Mm. Those sort of sliding door moments mm. that can create this sort of this journey, this pathway. Yeah. Um, and also the compliment. I mean, at that point of your career, that must have been a huge compliment that they wanted you to have, a, you know, an upgrade in what you were doing, essentially. They yeah. liked you. Yeah, it was really magic. I think, you know, there's sort of a great, I think there's some magic in naivety sometimes. And I was so naive and so unknowing about how it worked that, you know, now looking back i'm like oh my gosh i'm so lucky that they got in touch they, they things move so fast and there's always someone else ready to take your job and that people's kindness or you know extra efforts make such an impact on someone's life and they probably will never know you know that couple what they did for me that night or you know mm. yeah or, or my husband saying to me you know just go because you never know or the fact that i'd done hamlet that summer and knew it and that i didn't really know this was really a film with Anthony Hopkins at the time, you know, it was only after I found out, I was like, oh, that would have been quite fun to get, never mind. So, yeah, there's a, there's a freedom in naivety. Yeah, like you say, chipping away, isn't it? Mm, so yeah, chipping away. Little actions and it can lead to one big thing. Yeah. Talk to me about your, your career or your passion, at least, for performing arts before then, because reading notes on you, I get the sense that there was always a performer in you. That was all, you yeah, know, perhaps you were destined so. to do what you're doing. I think so. Well, from, I just begged and begged for my third birthday for a ballet costume to start <laughs> ballet lessons. I was desperate. And so, yeah, at the age of three, I got a full ballet costume and started doing ballet and tap. And then I was really fortunate to be in a little dance school. They did a show every year. And so Mrs. Kirby's dance school in Leeds. And we do these shows. And But I remember we did one show and we were all meant to skip round in a circle and I skipped the wrong way and knocked everyone over. <laughs> and I just turned to the audience and laughed. And it was just, I, I will never forget it. It was like I caught some sort of bug. I was like, oh, that feels good. 
I need to do that again. I was maybe about four or five by that point. My mum said she saw it then. You know, that it, you know, perhaps a lot of little girls might have cried or been upset, but I just turned to the audience and laughed and sort of had some sort of reaction that, that caused amusement. And it was, you know, early addiction to that, you know, reception. And, yeah, I was in all the shows thereafter and really excited to be... When we moved, we moved house to Birmingham, which is sort of irrelevant, but I moved to a different dance school that once again did shows every year and my teacher was really encouraging of me singing, even though that... <laughs> I'm not, you know, I'm not the world's best singer, but I can hold a tune and, and just bringing, drawing those bits out of me, you know, and learning how stagecraft works really early on and knowing what it means to be part of an ensemble, part of a team, what it means to be on stage and all of those sort of brilliant gifts I was given unwitting me by these teachers who, you know, I guess for the right person, it just was uh, unlocked so much love for it in me. I even, you know, recently I did a show um, in, in the West End last year, Upstart Crow, and I just felt so grateful for, like, every time I sort of took in this, the audience, I always thought of my dance teacher used to say, you know, don't forget the people at the top, always use your eye line, the projection. She just taught so much that that is natural to me because it was taught so early and so kindly, I suppose. But, yeah. It's I, lovely I, that you carry that through. Mm, yeah, I often think of those people and, and how they... They taught me things and I'm really grateful for my dance training as an actor because it's uh, you sort of know where your body is and how your body might look or, or how to hit your mark um, or, or timing and rhythm. So it's yeah, it's it's a it's a set of circumstances, isn't it, always that leads people to their destination. But I was very, very, very set on being a performer, very set, like burning for it. And I think you've got to, though, haven't you? For that I kind think of you're reaction. absolutely right. I think you're absolutely right. If you don't love it and want it with all your heart, and I don't know, I talk about my quiet place. I have a very, you know, I think everyone's got a quiet place. Their gut, whatever you want to call it, that that place knows. And if whatever that is burning for, it's not wrong. Mm. And if you're lucky enough to try and pursue it, then do. It's, it's amazing you have those sort of memories of being younger. We had Brian Cox on, and he said. I think again, he said he was like three or four and he was performing in front of his family at Christmas and they were reacting to him. He got such a buzz out of it. And yeah. that's almost what starts then this journey and yeah. love for it. It's, it's yeah. remarkable. Really yeah, at such a young age as well. Formative sort of approval, you know, that sort of the feedback is really intoxicating, which, you know, which may explain why I really loved doing stand up for many years. And, and I love doing live work because the instant feedback the hit of you know mm. i don't know pleasing like people i suppose an endorphin yeah. of being acceptable and 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 enjoyed for what you do and timing it right or you know it's really thrilling and yeah it probably was sewn very early on and my mum and dad met doing amateur dramatics so it, it, you know there's there's a buzz in the family i think into, for that and uh, yeah i think we've all had quite sort of performative <laughs> yearnings so if we fast forward a few years to drama school sort of time frame mm -hmm. and, and even even a little bit beyond them when you're getting those sort of those first gigs you say like extra roles and then going to Wolfman and even going to the Game of Thrones audition what was it that what was the passion as in what did you want to do because you can do lots of different things and you can do lots of things very well but was there one thing in particular that stood out you're like that's where I that's where I need to be yeah, I think the acting was always... I danced, as, I, as I've said, since I was so little, that that was always what I thought I would do. 
because I just loved it so much. But I think I wasn't ever good enough to be a professional in, in that sense. You know, I really wanted to go to ballet school, but it just was never going to happen. I was the wrong shape and not, not skilled enough. And probably didn't burn for it hard enough either, you know, but I really loved doing the school plays. That's where I, I did Daisy Pulls It Off and loads of other plays at school. My amazing English teacher must have seen something because she nurtured that in me and I was in, you know... Maybe no one else wanted it, but I was the lead in all the school plays. Cause <laughs> <laughs> I think everyone else was out kissing boys and doing things and the, like that. And I was just like, I just want to be on the stage in rehearsals. So she really nurtured that. So I think I, I chose to do musical theatre because um, I thought it would encompass drama and dance and singing and everything I loved doing. Um, but as I say, with musical theatre, you know, I would love to, to do a musical theatre job one day if it's a nice character role but it didn't really I wasn't the right fit for that world I don't think but the acting was something I always just wanted to do wanted to do but thought because it wasn't what I trained for I hadn't been to RADA I'd been known as a dancer um I didn't really know how to break into that mm. and so yeah it was it was a slow and steady chipping away. That's why I became a stand-up to try and show I had some sort of performing skills that weren't just dance and going to sort of little auditions and being part of, part of sketch groups and stuff. And I was a member at the Actors' Centre. I used to go to lots of drama classes there. And there was an amazing, uh, you know, again, this teacher, Bathsheba Garnet, her name was, she did a course called Simplicity. And she just woke me up to, like, this set of tools that you could use if they suit you and this kind of yeah really I started getting way more jobs after I went to her classes and I still use her technique now and you know she was sort of 90 93 years old when she taught us and she'd sort of fall asleep in class yeah. but then she'd wake up and be like no it wasn't that it wasn't that she's a really really brilliant um woman who you know sort of came up with the Marlon Brandos and the Marilyn Monroes, you know, she was part of that movement. And then she, you know, became a great actor herself and then an actor trainer. So, yeah, that was, you know, sort of taking classes at the Actors' Centre really sort of proved to me that's where I where I felt I belonged. And In, uh, in layman terms, for, for my benefit, I hmm. say that. <laughs> what sort of things would she have taught you that would have just opened your eyes? And Well, it's so simple. I suppose her class was called Simplicity. But the idea is that your work should be as you and I are now, discussing, talking, reacting as real human beings, listening to one another, which is, of course, like that is what acting is. But like, I suppose there's a tendency to like overdo things or overthink how to say a line or or go up at the end or something like that to make yourself sound more interesting when actually less is more like the simplicity of it just really and so we would do scenes like scene work just we would spend the whole week on one scene each like a duologue and we would not be able to do anything with it we'd have to say it really flatly to each other really flatly really connecting but really flatly and then work out what we're saying and how we're saying it and then by the end of the week this scene would just be something that would fill the room with buzz but also you with buzz like how honest and intricate and detailed you're being but just talking to each other and I know that sounds so simple, and like, well, duh, that is what acting is. But oh, you no, know, I would, quite I, I would a lot of the... people can can put a lot of, a lot of dressing on it. Mm. And I suppose it's you know, take the dressing off and tell the truth, and then you can maybe make it more. You know, just yeah, just less is more, and 
because I, you know, I hadn't come through RAD or anything, I had musical theatre and then, you know, all, all that sort of roundabout way of, of getting to where I am now, which I'm really immensely grateful for because I've sort of gained a lot of other tools along the way. But, um, you know, being woken to sort of acting in that way was really helpful. And, mm. you know, it's, it's like anything with anyone, you know, you, there's certain teachers that just bring you alive. And Bathsheba was one, as was one, one of my dance teachers, Dolly Henry, actually, because she talks about truth. And, you know, I think I'd got away a lot with my comedy. I'd got away with a lot of stuff by just being funny. And I suppose, you know, people really telling you, you can be funny, but you can also be really truthful and really affect people. And that can be even more gratifying and exciting for you to do and for people to watch. Um, so, yeah, everyone's got their their few teachers, haven't they? I've got my three. Oh, along the way, there's always, <laughs> yeah. there's always teachers and mentors that come yeah, about. Yeah, isn't that just, there? Change you, know, you completely. Yeah. Yeah. I've got one colleague I used to work with only for, a, he did a bit of mentoring with me for about six months, but just, I can remember each conversation just yeah. because I was, I was hanging on to every word. Absolutely. There's just yeah. people that you just, wow, you're, yeah, just so open to them and so. Shout out to those people. We yeah. Those people. Miss Clark, Dolly Henry <laughs> and Bathsheba Garnet. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Is it, is it quite nice, I suppose, with that sort of comedic background that, People like I know you admire Olivia Colman, for example, and <laughs> I love somebody like Robin Williams that yes. very much can do both. And, yes. And actually weren't sort of pigeonholed in, into one area, but actually could expand. And that absolutely you know, for you as a performer, you could follow the same sort of trajectory. You've just named two of my favourites. They're not obviously unusual favourites, but they are two of my favourites. Um, are they wonderful? Yeah, just and you know, and permitted to be allowed to do. Sorry. Um, drama when I think often people are sort of pigeonholed as you say into sort of oh she's a comedy actor or he's a comedy actor it's like actually I think a lot of comedy comic people have quite a lot of darkness I mean don't we all but like I think you know dramatic acting to comedians is actually quite a gift I think it's a really a rich seam to tap for them so yeah it's nice to be able to, to to be you know seen to be doing both so yeah, and I love Lucille Ball as well. Not because, she, not because she was particularly known for drama, but you know she well, or drama in some sense, the obviously. Glamour. But yeah, but the but her comedy timing, you know her, and her strength and her sort of you know she was the the she the, the powerful high status woman in this marriage, and she was a huge influence on me as well. So yeah, there's great people who affect you, and yeah, as as I say, I think Olivia and Robin were just yeah. We've actually been watching Mrs. Doubtfire over and over again oh. here at home. I laugh aloud with my daughter. So she looks at me like, what? You know, because it's not all completely understandable to a five-year-old yet. But, you know, yeah. she just loves that he says shit. She's thrilled yeah. that he says shit. So, um, <laughs> Or chucking the, the orange at yeah. Robin with, yeah. at um, Pierce Brosnan's head. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but she, we always have to go from the bit where Robin Williams says to his brother, "Will you make me? A, can you make me a woman? And he says, honey, I'm so happy. Like, but that's that's what we say in our house all the time now. Like, he he is just a comedy genius, and you can see actually as well, like, in the filming of it now, with the knowledge I have of like how they just had to, you know, lock off in a certain sense the camera and just let him run, just let him do his thing. Obviously, they've obviously maybe set two or three cameras up and just like this is going to be one of his amazing set pieces. We can't cut, and you know, him running around the kitchen or whatever. It just just magic, beautiful, uh, but also the beautiful emotion and drama he brings to it. Yeah, so. Mm. Great inspirations, yeah, so certainly. A deeper, sort of profound message. Mm. Have, you, have you heard that behind the scenes, 
<laughs> in character as Mrs. Doubtfire, he goes into a sex shop in, I assume it would have been in San Francisco. Right. <laughs> Obviously, as you can imagine, Mrs. Doubtfire, and he gets some sort of large sex toy, goes to the counter and says, oh, do you have this one double-ended? Oh, the wow. Guy, and, as and the as Mrs. Doubtfire. As, as Mrs. Doubtfire. Oh, wow, and the, and the guy looks it. like... Oh my God! Then realizes clocks on who it is, and yeah, he just thought that's Robin Williams. Oh, that's to a amazing! Tea. Yeah, he's just he's just a, <laughs> and he was he was an extraordinary man. So yeah, he really was. Mm-hmm. He really was. Um, let, let's go from there to something serious. I say mm-hmm. more serious in theme to the Tower. Mm-hmm. Uh, your new series coming back. Is it next Monday? It's coming back. Well, confusingly, it's series two, but I am currently filming series three. Well, I, I don't just binge series it. two. Oh yeah, binged it today and loved it. Did it you? Great. Yeah, really, really good. Well, you, you um, sort of, did you fast forward and get the, um, the the pithy headlines, or did you actually watch it? I watched the whole thing, oh, each episode back to back. Yeah, <laughs> no, I was great. We did the same, and I'm I'm not someone who like r- relishes watching myself, but I do think it's important to watch your work to see how you can improve or what you or what you enjoyed about it, or or vice versa. So we thought well, we'll just watch a bit of it, and we watched. The, we my husband was let's watch the next one. So it's yeah, it's it's pretty it's compelling. Gripping. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty. It's really gripping, and I think Patrick Harbinson, the the writer. Obviously, Kate London wrote the books. Patrick Harbinson, who adapted them for screen, he's just such a clever, delicate, intricate weaver of plot lines and story tales and narrative and and character. Just, just every. He's just a genius. And so to sort of watch all that sort of intertwine, it's a it's a show that really commands your attention. You can't really be on your phone at the same time as it. No, definitely not. Um, You're going to miss too many things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll miss loads of stuff because he he's he's a He's a show don't tell kind of a writer as well, so you really got to sort of pay attention. But it's uh, and he treats the audience intelligently, so you, you know trust that you will pick up on things without us spelling it out for you. Talk talk about your character as well. Quite complicated, has her own yes. backstory. Yes, yeah, Sarah Collins, my character. She's a sort of very by the book detective. She's someone who will go. You know, her moral compass is completely straight. You know her spirit level is 100% the the bubbles in the middle so there's no room for sort of any procedure going off piste and yet she's surrounded by lots of police officers in her team who do choose to go off piste to get the same result she might but certain things may not stand up in court or may not be done correctly however you can see why they make certain decisions because if you knock the door down now you might save a life if you knock it down later after you get permission to knock it down the person might be dead. So sometimes, you know, it's act now, answer later for some police officers. Um, but she's very sort of black and white and clear about her procedure. She gets on people's nerves because she's so <laughs> straight, I suppose. She is experienced that in season two, we we see her. This is not really a spoiler because it's in the books, but she has a personal grief of her own that yes. sort of plays out. Yeah, her sister um, was a victim of a a drink driving accident and Sarah was in the car with her and she died and Sarah didn't and so I think all her life from when she's been sort of late teens she's been carrying this grief that she never really faced because you grieve when you grieve and she just hasn't she's sort of married herself to her job you know her career choice is very interesting it's all about justice and doing the right thing and catching the baddies and I believe that she's got survivor's guilt and has sort of hitched her wagon to finding justice in the hope that it pays somewhat to finding justice for her sister. 
And a coping mechanism. A right? coping mechanism, exactly. And sort of being married to her job rather than letting other people in. However, she does begin a relationship with somebody in this series, which I think, you know, is a, is a nice development for her in terms of moving on. But yeah, it's it's again, as, as Patrick's just woven it so beautifully, these sort of complicated storylines and these complicated people. And it's really yeah, relatable. Yeah, because it, she's not black yeah. and white behind the scenes, is she? No, no. That's the thing. No, 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 exactly. She's, <laughs> you know, she's in a relationship with, a, you know, I, I don't want to give too much away, but the person she's chosen is is an interesting choice <laughs> for um, <laughs> yeah. historical crime reasons. But we'll find out I, how I intriguing. Like the, um, it is intriguing. <laughs> I, I really enjoyed the, the relationship with her new boss because she moves into homicide, yeah. new department. And initially, yeah. that first interaction, I was like, oh, what an ass! Yeah. I don't like this guy at all. Yeah. And then suddenly you kind of see that, oh, no, this is just how it is. Maybe it's his management style, but yeah. eventually they kind of break each other down and understand each other, which was quite nice. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Like, I think a lot of the men are painted quite sort of gruff and misogynistic and like, mm. you know, but, but Stuart Macquarie plays Jim Fedden and he's just... As you say, initially, it's just like, oh, God, here we go. She's just given a cold case immediately. He's on her back about being a week late, even though she was told she could be a week late. He just gives her a hard time, puts her in a back office. Of course, you know, her disposition is such that, oh, right, I'm going to flipping solve this cold case you've given me and I'll come back and I, like a dog with a bone, I'll just keep coming back. <laughs> so she's used to it and she takes it. But as you say, quite quickly, we see that Jim Fedden is a man who will admit when he's wrong and he will admit defeat and he will say thank you and he will say well done. And he will give permission to do the extra things that Sarah wants to do because he has a healthy respect for her. So he's he's representative of, of you know a change perhaps in the in the the male copper up top perhaps. Mm. But yeah, I, I yeah. really like I, I really like how they sort of have this healthy kind of admiration for one another really, and that uh, he will listen, which has been not been her experience thus far really. Yeah, so it's a, yeah, it's a good quality. Yeah, and and also the. I think in order to be good at that job, be effective at that job, especially given the sort of characters you may meet within work or outside of that, the sort of resilience you need. Yeah, I think so. Like, I think because a lot of the supporting artists on the show are, you know, ex-coppers who've done their 30 years, they're, they're ex-detectives, they've done their, their cool. time. and Yeah, so it's, it's a really rich sort of seam to tap. If you speak to any of them, they're like, yeah, I was a de detective for this long or I, was, I spoke to an amazing guy who was who was an undercover copper for years. It's just like what, what he had to do and go through and his persona and, and all that. And, and they, stories. yeah, the stories they've got, the kind of the death messages that they've had to deliver. They were really open about, you know, the things that really deeply affected them in their careers. But just really, I said, I said to them, is it, is it really this misogynistic and, you know, racist and, you know, difficult for people in the police force of, of certain minorities or being women. And they said, yeah, it's it's really, unfortunately, still pretty similar now to how this is being painted. So I was quite shocked and disappointed to hear that. But obviously, I'm, I don't want to be speaking in broad strokes. I'm sure there might be coppers listening now going, oh, you're wrong, you're wrong, it's changing. And I'm sure it is. But, you know, perhaps, they, you know, in their time, having retired now, it was still pretty... Mm. Um, unequal and a male environment that's that's hopefully as it was uh, alluding to before being chipped away at <laughs> i hope so mm. i hope so well i i love series two and i'm glad you're doing series three so yeah, that's, I am um, too. that's good I'm news all around got my plots mixed up so far <laughs> <laughs> can i ask you another plot twist question yeah um 
we've we've spoken about people and influences, but this one is sort of a surprise entity, a plot twist person that may have come out of nowhere essentially and been an influence to you. Is there anyone that stands out that would be more of that sort of surprise entity? Patrick Malahide was pretty influential on me in Game of Thrones. How so? My scenes mainly with Patrick Malahide were in my first time on a huge TV set and I was such an admirer of his work anyway. I just found him really generous and I remember he was just really encouraging. We had this scene and we did it, just this massive duologue together. And he just said, God, that was like fresh air. And that changed me profoundly because it's like someone like Patrick Malahide would say working with me was like fresh air. That I would always, always carry that. That like I was good enough for someone I really admired. And I think that I think that gave me a real a real boost, certainly a real a real confidence in in that I was in the right place, because, of course, you know, especially being sort of convoluted in my arrival at where I am now, you can have a sense of sort of imposter syndrome. But I really. Yeah, exactly. I really feel like I. I'm in the right career and I he really made me feel like I belonged when I was probably two, two or three days into the job. And for him to say that was really magic. So, yeah, he was very special to me, and I, and I remember it now even, and how we were stood and <laughs> the light on his lovely blue eyes. I don't know. It's just, it was a really profound moment for oh. me to think, ah, I, I am good enough here. This is, this is nice. <laughs> so, yeah. Not just a generic compliment, quite a specific mm, sort of... Yeah, yeah I like yeah. that. But then different. every take after that, I'm like, oh, my God, I'm not fresh air. Oh, my God, the air, the air's gone stale. Oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. <laughs> be fresh air, be fresh, be fresh air. <laughs> he should have said it at the end. Never give a compliment in the middle. Say it at the end. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, amazing. What was, what was your memories like the first few days on set? Because uh, perhaps then you wouldn't have known how enormous it would go on to become, but it must have been quite the experience, like you say, a big HBO set. It's a, yeah. It is a different ball game, right? Yeah, I suppose. I suppose my first day on set was a big banquet scene, and we and we shot it out of sequence. So I filmed my last scene first, and that was my first day on set ever on something like that. Um, I didn't know the jargon. I didn't know any of the kind of the phrases or what a mark was, or any of that, really. You know, I, as I say, I'd done some TV, but, like, simple studio stuff, or, like, you, you stand and deliver a move. You don't have to walk and find a mark or whatever. And I was so um, in awe of it, but just trying to anchor into, like, you worked hard for this, you're right for this, this is your role, you feel comfortable, it's okay. And um, the costume did a lot of work for me. And then, you know, the set does a lot of work, and I just had to sort of yeah trust it I suppose and I really relished it but I do remember that this is not a a, a new fact but um I don't eat meat (laughs) but on that day lots of chicken right yeah and I didn't know I didn't know that you're meant to say if you've got dietary requirements that means not just when you're having your lunch it means on set dietary requirements in terms of like if you don't eat meat and the Stage direction says Yara is chowing down on a massive boat piece of chicken. <laughs> so I just ate chicken all day because I was too scared to tell them. <laughs> go method. Just go method. <laughs> Listen, my body's probably going to be grateful for all this protein. It's fine. One day off, one day off. 
because I started trying to with like, well, I just eat bread, and it's so tacky and sticky. I just couldn't get my words out. So I was like, okay, we're just gonna have to go with this chicken and make it work. So um, I'm sorry to the vegetarian community, but there was a day where I <laughs> ate a lot of chicken. But then I had two babies and ate quite a lot of meat because that's just as an a hungry, angry, pregnant person. But I'm back on track now, guys. Okay, come back. Glad to hear. <laughs> but yeah, so it's not a new story, but that was my first day on set was it did involve me betraying my morals. <laughs> I think that's acceptable. Yeah. I think it's okay. Like day. you say, yeah. very method. I'm very method. Yeah, very method. <laughs> well, I'm going to ask you one more question before coming to some very quick random things. And then we'll, you know, I'm conscious of time, but I won't keep you for too long. Mm-hmm. But House of the Dragon, thoughts on that? Have you watched it? I haven't watched it. It's not because oh. I don't want to. We just don't have that platform. We've got so many different platforms. So it's on the list. But lots of people tell me it's really good. So I, I would love to have a look. But um, oh, you would like to watch it? Yeah, I would really like to watch yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not one of these people who's like, mm, it's not, it doesn't have Yara Gray. <laughs> oh, it's in the original. It's in the original. But I, you know, I hear it's really good. And I'm a massive admirer of, of Matt Smith and... Yeah, there's been great stuff about it. So, yeah, I'm, I'm keen to watch, but I, I haven't I, yet. I did think, given the pressure of everything that had come before it, that they did do a very good job. Did they? Okay, good. the expectations good. were obviously enormous. And given... there was also a lot of press around it, wasn't there, in terms of like, oh, it's cancelled, they're not doing it. They are doing it, they're mm. not doing it. They don't want anything to do with the original set of people at all. Oh, they do. It was, it was a lot of like either cleverly woven, you know, press around it publicity around it or or it was true but anyway whatever the result it, i'm glad i don't want it to be a flop because that sort of taints things somehow doesn't it it does yeah definitely i'm gonna come on to some randoms quick okay. fire randoms just okay. to end things i usually start at the beginning but i was quite keen to go into the plot twist because i thought there could be different angles we could go okay mount rushmore of heroes for you oh yes we've mentioned them haven't we lucille ball Robin Williams, Olivia Coleman, and Hal Holbrook, weirdly. Okay. He is dead now, but he was the old man into the world. And he plays this scene in that show, which I watch over and over again as just the most perfect piece of acting. When, um, oh, what's the young boy called? Emil? Is it Emil? Oh, everyone's screaming, I'm sure, but Into the World. You know, you know the film Into the Wild, obviously. Hal Holbrook's character offers to adopt the boy and in a car just before he goes off on his big adventure and, you know, it won't, it's not a spoiler, he doesn't come back. But the way Hal plays that scene, I just watch it every time completely mesmerised by every single second is played perfectly. And it, it moves me every time. It's just extraordinary. So Hal Holbrook is my fourth hero. To be able to do what he did would be wonderful. So yeah, that's a very that's a good four. You've yeah, good four there. Some pretty obvious ones, and then hopefully, a little curveball with Hal. I hope everyone, everyone go yeah. and watch that scene on YouTube. It's just extraordinary. What's the best gift you've ever received? Best gift. My mum and dad gave me a beautiful statue of two dancers once, and it was one of those gifts that was so out of the blue, and unexpected, and beautiful. I have it downstairs, and every time I look at it, I think, Do you remember how surprised you were when you got that? Because it was just, you know, people typically, you know, when you get to a certain age, they buy you, they get you money, or they get you, I don't know, something immaterial in a way. And this was a really sort of beautifully thought of gift. So, yeah, my sort of bronze statue of two dancers is very special to me. 
because of who it was from, but also that it mm. sort of came out of... Comp- it, was, it was completely unexpected. I think those are always the best kinds of gifts, aren't they? Yeah. It's the sentiment, isn't it, behind yeah. it? It's, but it's they, 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 you... thought, they saw that and they thought, that's for Gemma. Yeah, yeah. This, this, that was really special to be given that, yeah. All right, I'll do a couple quick fire ones. Um, Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings? Harry Potter. Oh, definitive. Yep. I like it. Yeah, I'm with you. I think we may so. have just upset a few, quite a few people. Oh, but, really? You know, we can roll with it. Soz, guys. Yeah, soz. Soz, Um Ice cream is better than cake. Discuss. Ah, oh, how can you choose? <laughs> two different mediums. Oh, God. Um, I think ice cream belongs on a cake, doesn't it? Okay, if I have to, if if I'm not allowed anything, I think I I would probably have a cake, and it would be the Guinness and chocolate cake from the um, cafe nearby. Anything with Guinness in, I think. Yeah, delicious, delicious, nourishing, right? Nourishing. (laughs) Very. (laughs) Well, on that note, it's been lovely chatting with you. Thank you so much for coming on. It's been a long time coming, as uh, as I I explained at the beginning. Oh, I'm really honoured. Thank you so much for tolerating me under this pink blanket. (laughs) I love it (laughs) thanks Gemma you're wonderful to talk to thank you have a lovely evening take care wasn't she a delight Gemma Whelan a huge huge thank you been a long time coming but it was well worth the wait she's hard working she's ambitious she's tenacious but also just down to earth and really humble a really a really good mix and those traits have clearly contributed massively to her success when you think back to that small role in a comedy called threesome that has the same casting director as game of thrones it's those sort of moments that clearly have catapulted her to where she is today and i really like that feedback where She's on the set of Game of Thrones. It's that first massive gig. And Patrick Malahide, this esteemed actor, just turns to her and says, well, that was a breath of fresh air. Like, what a confidence boost. And clearly that's going to instill a lot of confidence in her as she, you know, builds that character. And we said that, she almost nearly got kicked off the series for uh, revealing a bit too much. So um, thankfully, nothing came out of that. Uh, (laughs) The other thing that was really charming was Mrs. Kirby's dance school reflecting upon those experiences, being on stage about four or five, knocking everybody over accidentally, then turning to the audience and laughing, and just getting the bug. And the fact that would stay with you and actually lead to what career you have and the success that you've had. I thought that was amazing. So it was a pleasure chatting to Gemma. And if you want more of Gemma Whelan, the Tower Series 2 is out now on ITVX and, of course, Game of Thrones. All eight series are available on Now and Sky. Who knows, I may even go back and start watching it for the fourth time and uh, try and find that chicken eating scene and just pay attention to how Method Gemma was, was really going. So that's it for this episode. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week. Ciao, guys. Whoa, oh, oh, oh.